I'm Jeff Cook. And I'm TJ Wilson. And this is Around the Circle. I'm walking slowly. I'm taking my time. All I could talk in is starting to rhyme. I'm letting go lonely, letting go strife. I just can't get enough of this beautiful the Enneagram is a map of the human personality. It's a tool for navigating relationships. It creates language for what motivates us and helps us look at the way we look at everything else. Most importantly, the Enneagram is a mirror because sometimes you need help seeing yourself. My name is Jeff Cook. I'm a philosopher in Greeley, Colorado, and with me is TJ Wilson, businessman, lover of theology, and Enneagram Ninja. Hello. You know what I started thinking about, uh, TJ? I do not. We've been real negative on some of these movies. <laughs> Time well, to go positive. Because some of them are trash. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a downer. Is that we're, we're going to spend the next three hours talking about this trashy movie. <laughs> well, but, okay, there's, there's six, and half of them are amazing. <laughs> there you go. Well, let's so. talk about some amazing movies. Okay. Did you know that the uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy is the most awarded series of movies ever? I'm not at all surprised by that. 800 nominations. Good night. 475 awards. These are like across right yeah, worldwide spectrum. Latin Grammys and New Zealand Best Picture Award. It got 3 of those. Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's the big ones that everyone knows about, but then there's like hundreds and hundreds that industry people know about. That's it. Yeah. But 17 Oscar wins, 37 nominations. It is the uh, first fantasy film, the last one, Return of the King, to win Best Picture. And that year, you may have remembered that year, it got 11 of 11 of yeah. its uh, Oscar awards. Yeah, that year was nuts. Because I feel like it, didn't it like beat out some other stuff that was like, like people were mad that it won? I love Master and Commander. Oh, yeah. With a deep deep passion you're the one it just got annihilated <laughs> and it should that should be a series that we all love and enjoy to this day they should have made like eight of those silly things nope trounced at the oscars shut down production isn't it master and commander part one yeah uh far side of the world is the subtitle okay. even as a subtitle <laughs> what else was yeah. paul bettany and russell crowe doing nothing that's what they were doing Paul Bettany was just getting ready. He was he, he for the role of a lifetime. <laughs> I'm talking about Wimbledon. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Here's a fun fact that I didn't think about. In those that entire epic trilogy, you know one thing that never happens is a woman never speaks to another woman in all Wait, what? 13 hours. Of film. Serious? None of the women speak to other women. I have never, ever thought of that before. That was the best thing I read today. That's nuts. The other one that was interesting was that Elijah Wood and Ian McKellen, when acting, never looked each other in the eye in all of their scenes together because of how because they, they had size. To, right. They had to make the height difference. Yeah. Yeah. So one was always looking at the mask of a person who was, you know, short in stature. Right. And then Elijah Wood was always looking at a pole with, you know, like a cardboard face on it. Right. Right. <laughs> Made me laugh. I and mean, I'm sure there's there's good opportunity for some good pranks there, but yeah, that's <laughs> true. Never thought about that. 
So those are my fun interesting discoveries today. It also is the case, just on the positive side, is there a better trilogy than these three movies? Than Fellowship, Two Towers, and Return of the King? I mean, it's certainly in the top five for trilogies, but I, it's hard to think of a better set. I'm trying really hard to think of good jokes right now, but... <laughs> I mean, those first three screams were pretty amazing, right? Right. Uh, yeah, most of most trilogies fall apart at the end. You're going with Bill and Ted, perhaps. <laughs> I and mean, I do love me some Bill and Ted. <laughs> <laughs> Fell apart in the middle there for me. That second one, I sure. I, the bogus That's journey, fair. just it was a disappointment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the last one was the only thing going on at the beginning of the pandemic. <laughs> it was like everything shut down and they were like, well, we got this in the can. Hey, there, there are some Gen Xers and millennials out there who are looking for some nostalgia. <laughs> Let's throw a movie together. <laughs> Bill, my friend. Yes, Ted, my friend. I have a feeling things are about to change in a most outstanding way. I could not agree more. We had movie night and made it a real big deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, the only one that really comes to mind in terms of really competing is, for me, is Toy Story. And I say that as a man who actually has a Star Wars podcast. Sure. But I, th- but I, think, that this is, I think this is the best trilogy. Sure, yeah. Because, yeah, it, uh, like, start to finish... Like there are movies you like more than others, but aren't, there aren't movies that are like definitively better than others. Mm-hmm. That works. Boom. We are going to be tackling the characters in the best trilogy ever. All right. We're halfway through. We had uh, 16 characters that we disagreed with, and we're jumping into the backside. Apparently, you thought there was a ton of heart triad, folks. I guess. Because all eight of our remaining characters were typed by TJ as a two, three, or four. Yeah. All the heart. We are going to begin with arguably the greatest character in fantasy, and that would be one goal. What's Titus, Brussels? Yeah. And apparently, TJ has a bomb to throw here because stepping away from thinking this is a single person. Yeah, I... I... I think there's two types going on here. I think there's a there. I mean, it, it's a split personality. So split. I I think that there there's a good argument to be had for it being two different types, Smeagol and Gollum. Master, Master looks after us. Master wouldn't hurt us. Master broke his promise. Don't ask Smeagol, poor Smeagol. Master betrayed us. Wicked, tricksy, false. That, that brings up all sorts of metaphysical issues before we get into <laughs> typing characters. <laughs> Is it the case that, that people who have split personality disorders have two Enneagram types? I maybe. I guess we'll see after the end of this argument. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I've never actually met somebody who said split personalities yeah, and did not do detailed Enneagram work with them. It's, it's one of those things that it's, um, it's talked about a lot, but it's actually super, super, super uncommon. So there you go. Yeah. Did you see that M night Shyamalan movie split? No, I missed uh, it too. M night Shyamalan is one of those things that like, like once, once you've seen enough, then the rest aren't really that interesting anymore. You know, there's a twist coming. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, well. 
I think I think a lot of his stories are really good. And then you also have like the village. I love the village. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen the village and I know what, what happens. <laughs> Like the well. general premise of the village, and then you find out it's M. Night Shyamalan, and you're like, oh, yeah, okay, they're just shut up. That Where the story is going to go is obvious. Man, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Thing with Gollum, however, and so I we need to talk about typing for two seconds, but I got a whole list of questions I got for you on Gollum. Uh, before we get into typing uh, people that we don't know, what's the, our one rule for typing others? The one rule to rule them all is don't type others. So I have internalized this rule so well in recent months that I'm really doing badly at <laughs> typing Lord of the Rings characters. <laughs> this just shows my virtue. It shows nothing about my competence in Enneagram circles. It's just all character being displayed in my failure right. and it's like like we get <laughs> so used to like the sort of system that we've developed about asking questions and like helping guide people that it becomes harder to see it up front i get that <laughs> I and mean, i'm better at it than you are i just understand yeah, what that, you're saying it's just how i sleep <laughs> at night so thing with Gollum. so i had i type Gollum as a six half of this is because I immediately went in and thought that Gollum has a Tyler Durden problem. Sure. And so we had done such great work on Fight Club, which if you have not yet listened to our villainous series, you got to go back and listen to episode six where we deep dive into Tyler Durden. But let's, let's, let's be clear. It's the episodes on six. It's not episode number six in that series. Correct. It's like number 10 or something because... <laughs> We're nerds and we talk a lot. <laughs> but that one features the great Steve Morris. He, Steve Morris is, is a hero of yeah. mine. The Tyler Durden ends up creating this other personality who he ends up serving. And that felt just so much like the Smeagol Gollum relationship. Answer me, why do people think that I'm you? I think you know. No, I don't. Yes, you do. Why would anyone possibly confuse you with me? So I put on those glasses early and just said, oh, of course, this is what's going on. And uh, I got my argument. Yeah. And of course, I went back to the script today to just see, okay, well, what do I need to remind myself in terms of all the things Gollum says? Well, all the things that Gollum says are, are twos. It's just all over this character, his <laughs> two-ness. <laughs> so another place where I'm just going to wave the white flag. But it got it got me thinking, and I wanted to talk about this as a setup, is that Alongside sixes, like Tyler Durden, and twos like Gollum, you then have also ones who apparently have an inner critic. Mm -hmm. This is a triad, ones, right. twos, and sixes. Yep. They're all earners. They're all part of the reactive triad. And they all verbally process. Right. And it struck me that I wonder if that's not a way that we can begin to think through. I mean, uh, screenwriters out there, if you really want to create another great villain... Here it is. It's you just got to make the one who creates this <laughs> inner right, critic yeah. who's actually yeah. right there with him. We have we have Tyler Durden. We have Gollum. And we just need the, the type one. Brad Pitt's still alive. He could probably pull that off. 
No, I, I think you're right. This is a, in, in the Enneagram community, we talk a lot about the inner critic and that, that sort of internal monologue, like the, the, the thing in the voice inside that's criticizing everything that ones do. And that's, that's one of the, like, like if you need to know you're a one, this is one of the ways that you know. And, and realistically, most of us have a version of that voice and, for a lot of us, it's, it's stronger than like, it has varying degrees of strength, but we see it more commonly in ones, twos, and sixes. And I think it has a lot to do with that, that thinking repression. It's, it's be, like the, we, you said ones, twos, and sixes are, are usually verbal processors. It's, the needing to bounce ideas off of other people. It's, it's needing outside validation of the way that we're thinking because that, that internal thinking is, is sort of stunted. It's broken. It's, it's, it, it doesn't work exactly right. Like that's, that's the one thing that ones, twos and sixes can do to do the most work in their life is work on thinking properly and and so because of that that sort of stuntedness, one, twos, and sixes are so much about that verbal processing, about having another voice. And ones, twos, and sixes are the types that most often talk about the internal critic, the internal the the voice in their head that is criticizing the things that they do. It's strongest in ones typically, but it is very present in twos and sixes as well. Mm-hmm. Struck me that. This character obviously kind of embodies that type of personality. Mm-hmm. He's so lonely, is so ostracized that verbal processing, as it were, takes on a personality of its own. Right. And that's a huge part of this character. Right. I want to pitch two arguments from six, and then I'm going to jump onto the number two bandwagon and we can close the sucker down. Great. <laughs> but this, the two that hit me was one. It seems to me that if you extract yourself totally from society, that doesn't feel like a very two-ish thing to do. Mm. He might not be invited back to his village, but he could probably find somewhere else to hang. Sure. But he goes into the mountain and just hides. And the relational part of a two doesn't seem, it doesn't seem like that's what a two would do. Yeah. Unless, go ahead. I have an immediate response for you. Do it. (laughs) Because of the schism. Because Gollum becomes us. So Smeagol starts as an I and <laughs> like yeah. if if Smeagol is a two and and the ring creates this schism, especially because he is ostracized from society, like part of that 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 mental break for him is manufacturing the community that he's looking for. Yep. And the thing that also hits me as you're talking is that the motive for creating that other personality is not fear. Right. It's entirely shame. Yeah. Yep. Second argument I had (laughs) (laughs) is that in security, he feels, it feels like he's 
at times much more, he verbalizes much more nine-ish targets. So the end of the great dialogue that he has with himself in Two Towers, where he yells out at the very end, We, we told him to go away, and away he goes, precious. Gone, gone, gone! Smeagol's free! Mm. Feels like a more nine-ish target in terms of language. Sure. I'm not sure how to justify that for two uh, because I've never thought about that before. But I don't see Smeagol being free as a as an as nine. Like I, he he's jubilant at his freedom. Not I finally get to rest. Yep. Which I, I like like six moving to nine. I think it would be a a restful release. There would be a sigh of relief, not a not a whoop of joy. The other way to spin that, I suppose if it's a two, is that you're actually in security coming to know your own inner self, not as someone who is looking to others to tell them if they're valuable, but really coming to understand this is who I am. Yeah. And that may manifest itself as joy in yeah. the way they expressed here. And and even a, a, a brief moment of emotional elation that like like I, I really think that this slight move to draw something from four is very brief because I, I don't think that Smeagol is even remotely healthy enough to to spend the right amount of time anywhere in his moves. Yeah. I wonder, do you, can we talk about the villainous side of two with this character? It would be very different from our villainous deep dive into uh, Syndrome. Right. Who is our villainous too? Right. Syndrome goes to four insecurity. The dark side of security is what TJ and I have talked about as that's where villainy lives. When somebody is thoroughly secure and yet doing terrible things, that is their villainous side. Mm -hmm. Do you see that with this character at all? I, I think you can make an argument for that in the way that he's sort of pretending to help. Frodo, like when he's leading Frodo and Sam to Chilob, like that's that's his plan. Like I I I think his whole plan is to go along until he can figure out how to betray them. Losing his nerve. No, not, never. Smeagol hates nasty horses. Smeagol wants to see them. Dead. And we will. So like the, the, the pretense of helpfulness, I think you can make an argument there. But again, I, I don't know that there's the villainy for him yeah, I, I don't think that we could have done a villain study on him because he's so broken. Yeah, he doesn't enter security. Right. What he does do where sixes weaponize others' fear, it seems like twos will weaponize others' needs and dependence. Yeah. And that's all over this character. Yeah, absolutely. And if he, he does it to Sam, he does it to Frodo, he uh, he does it to himself. Does it to himself? Yeah. Mm. 
running through this then, it does strike the heart type, I think, comes out in that he immediately, having been ostracized from society, begins to not only create a second personality, but begins to speak to an inanimate object mm-hmm. as a person. Right. And even uh, gives it some, you know, he anthropomorphizes it. It's... Right. Like it's making decisions. And obviously that's part of the story actually as well, but but his his the the way that he's sort of in tune to that. Mm-hmm. I I I think that that speaks to like it, he's not anthropomorphizing it. He is in tune with it. Uh there you like go. Like he he's yep. aware of it in a way that that a lot of other people aren't. Like I don't yeah. think Isildur was aware of it. Right. Oh, that's good. Does he cra- he craves the attention of the ring? I suppose in that opening monologue, there's lots of language that the ring has a will of its own, like mm-hmm. it betrays Gollum. Right. But it's still the case. Yeah, he's aware of it. That would be a two quality. He's so in tune with the emotional life of of the world that he can intuit that this ring actually likewise has has personality, has will, has yeah. Something else going on in it. Yeah. Deeply desires attention. Yeah. Really at his high point, or at least getting back to center, I should say, he begins to understand that Frodo cares about him. Right. And it's actually a depthier care. They both, they're the only two ring bearers. And they have this shared suffering and they get each other's addictions. You have no idea what it did to him, what it's still doing to him. I want to help him, Sam. Why? Because I have to believe he can come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and the way that he comes alongside Frodo and begin like like he's essentially Frodo's prisoner, but a, as he becomes a little bit more like as he wakes up a little bit more as, as Smeagol wakes up, he Mm -hmm. becomes a servant to Frodo. Mm -hmm. Like he, he always calls him master, but, but that starts is because Frodo is the master of the ring. But at like, like, especially after that, that conversation he has with himself and, and Gollum steps into the background for a few minutes, like he, he starts bringing food. Like he, he catches a rabbit to give to Frodo. To say, here, have this thing that you need. Look. Look. See what Sneaker friends. And and becomes a servant in that way. This is a great illustration about how security isn't necessarily the target, but being really healthy in your center is the target. Mm-hmm. He's lived in eight space a lot. Right. And moving, you know, that feeling vulnerable, being aggressive in that space having someone invite you out of that space into a role where they can simply help out of generosity and and the attention that they get from others. That's a great move for a two who's lived in eight space, self-protective space. Right. And, and as, 
I have never studied or even remotely thought about or looked into actual split personality disorder. Uh, so I don't, I don't know if this is at all real, but, but according what this story sort of showcases to us is the way that his move to eight, like I, I, I stand by the idea that Smeagol is a two and Gollum is an eight because I think that, that he moves so thoroughly into that stress space of, of eightness that when, when we see Gollum come out of Smeagol there, it's, it's pure eight energy in a Mm -hmm. really, really unhealthy expression Mm-hmm. But it's it's about like it it almost is that he changes personalities, mm-hmm. and and I think that eightness is is represented pretty solidly by the evilness that comes out in Gollum. Yeah, I don't know if this is how it works for twos or sixes, but I feel like a lot of the one inner critic is experienced in four space. Mm-hmm. There's a introspective high degree of introspection that takes place by the inner critic. Sure. And so one's going to four and stress end up having, you know, their eyes awaken to all the things within them. It feels like the, it just feels like there's a lot of forwardness that can be the voice of the inner critic in my own world. Mm -hmm. And I would, I would be curious to hear from it too, whether or not there's more eightness in terms of their inner monologue, their uh, verbal processing. Sure. Because if so, that would make a lot of sense then. Right. In this character. Right. Yeah, I don't know about it for six because three comes across so differently than that that kind of expression. But but again, we're, we're talking about a psychological break that yeah. is so significant. Like this, we, we've talked about this a lot that, that unaddressed trauma can cause it just breaks all the rules and and this is such a significant representation of trauma the right. smeagol golem is is so broken yeah breaks all the rules and obviously just to make it clear this is not a real person with a real personality this is an artistic creation made by many different artists over time. And even the original Gollum looks nothing like this Gollum, like the first Hobbit that got Tolkien actually went back and rewrote the Gollum chapter after he was working on Lord of the Rings because he changed the character. Oh, (laughs) sure. Oh, this is actually who this is. (laughs) (laughs) So I like that. um, Andy circus though, man, seriously, there's some folks who are everybody realizes that they're seeing something new. They don't necessarily realize it's greatness that they're seeing. But Andy Serkis is this person, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Films live or die on their casting. Um, you know, if we, if we got Frodo wrong, if we cast the wrong actor as Frodo, imagine the disaster or the mess these films would be. And I mean, any of the actors could, in a way, kill a movie if they're the wrong actor. And the same was true of Gollum. We were basically meeting actors who could do good voice work. Because at that point, we thought we were just looking for a voice actor. The original kind of way into the job was me getting a phone call from my agent saying, Andy, look, I don't know if you're interested, but they're doing this film, Lord of the Rings, down in, in New Zealand, and they want to see you for this CG character to do a voice for a CG character, and it's probably about three weeks' work. And 
And I was thinking to myself, well, you know, that sounds dull as hell, you know, I'm not interested in doing that, I'm an actor, I want to play, there must be a dozen good roles in that movie, you know. And then I started looking at the book and I thought, like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, this is just amazing, this character is the best written part in it. He came in and um, he did a really uh, memorable audition. He, he was just able to generate this weird voice. My cats at home had a big uh, Im impact on how um, Gollum's voice came about because they get furballs in their throats after they lick. So that the that that became um, that then became he was almost cast from the second that we met him, <laughs> and what was interesting is that in order to create the voice, he was having to distort himself and put all this expression in his face, and, and that's where he was finding the voice. He was actually doing the character. Uh, and over uh, and over again, he keeps yeah. doing things like this. And that's it. Just one of the stellar artists working as an actor. Moves be it moves his craft into places nobody has moved their craft before. Right. You know? Anyway. The the one last thing I wanted to circle back to is just how much shame propels this character. Yep. And I don't think I would have named that before. Yep. The, that image of they cursed us and drove us away. Mm-hmm ends up just being that's like that's him as a young man just getting destroyed for for his sins and uh, it's a it's just a powerful image and he he exhibits little to no fear that oh, you is, want to talk about that i mean, just the, like like normal levels of fear in situations where any normal person would be fearful like twos don't have that or you like, just, like, oh, I, I, in terms yeah. of sixes, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that, like, he, he doesn't display a heightened level of fear, yeah, to me. There are times where he's calling out, Here are the things that might go badly, right? They're at the gates, they're at the black gates, and he looks pretty scared. No, no, master, they catch you, they catch you. No, don't take it to him. And and I think that, that part of that is that he's already been tortured by the people that they're running yep. toward. Yep. And part of it is that he knows that Sauron is going to take the ring. And he's mm -hmm. trying to keep Sauron from getting the ring because he wants it. Right. Yeah. yeah. The thing that cracks him when Faramir and his company come up is the betrayal. Yep. And it, it's not... He's not cracked because of self-doubt. Right. He's he he cracks because he trusted. He trusted Frodo. That's enough. Where are you leading them? Answer me. Why does he cry, Smeagol? <coughs> Cruel man hurts us. Master tricked us. <laughs> of course he did. <coughs> I told you he was tricksy. I told you he was false. 
Master is our friend. Our friend. Master betrayed us. No, not its business. Leave us alone. Ends up crying in a corner, just oh, broken, and it's all relational. Devastating. That that scene is. I find that scene kind of hard to watch. Yep. And and that scene is also one of the things that that sort of helps solidify my my sense of the schism with Gollum being a separate personality because the the way that 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 vengeance rears up in him is like it, again we're talking about one of the most unhealthy broken characters displayed but but it's still like it it's so visceral it's it's so intense and and personal it's that it the move from two in stress to eight i don't think it would embody that vengeance so thoroughly Mm -hmm. yeah agreed agreed all right well we got Gollum as a two then great uh moving on to Denethor. Denethor, you will know as the steward of Gondor and man who really has a hard time eating with his mouth closed. Yeah, he does. Oh, that scene is beautiful and <laughs> how disgusting it is. Come, sing me a song. The juxtaposition of Pippin's song and his crushing tomatoes with his mouth is awesome. Home is behind... So gross. Seeds going everywhere. Played by the great John Noble. I have Denethor as a three. TJ's got him as a two. I think this is one of those characters. This may be the first time that we're talking about a character who is on the line in terms of a wing. There is, uh, so this will be one of those places that a lot of people mistype is that they find themselves considering two numbers that are right next to each other. Right. Happens with fours and fives a lot. Happens with nines and ones a lot. Mm-hmm. Happens with sevens and eights sometimes. Twos and threes, however, I think is real common. Mm-hmm. And especially especially when we're typing fictional characters, it's become real common. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and really unhealthy ones because their display of their, their type and especially what they draw from their wings is going to be all messed up anyway yeah and there you go yep that's a that's a great point i'll make the case for denethor as a three real quick it seems to me we're gonna have to talk about whether or not he is so he's part of the heart triad yep so this is an attention seeker yep things that are going to be different is that twos are going to be more earning types reactive types and Threes are going to be more aggressive, assertive types. Threes are going to be more focused on goals, whereas twos are going to be more focused on getting what they want through how they can serve those around them. And threes are going to be attachers that will attach for attention. And twos are going to be those that shut down their own needs and push into uh, helping others in order to get what they want. Mm Mm-hmm. Lots of other wrinkles there, but I suppose the, a place to really focus, and it may be almost the entirety of this character, is his relationship with his two sons. Yeah. On the three side, the argument in part would be that he, 
he really wants the attention of his older son and attaches to his older son in a, in a really unhealthy way. I think that Denethor is really image conscious of himself and of his two boys, and he sees one of them as a failure, and he sees one of them as a success, and that strikes me as much more three-ish than two-ish. Sure. And so perhaps I'll start there, and we can move forward. Um, do you have a reaction to that? And, and perhaps you can pitch the two-ness. Where's the two-ness for you? Uh, I agree with almost everything that you said, except that I don't think he's interested in garnering the attention of his children. Or more clearly, I don't think he's interested in the attention of Boromir. I think he's interested in the fealty of Boromir. That is the place where I think he's deceiving himself. Boromir would have remembered his father's need. He would have brought me a kingly gift. Mm. And I think he's creating a, an image of who his son was. And you'll notice that Faramir just cuts right through that and says you're deceiving yourself. Boromir would not have brought the ring. He would have stretched out his hand to this thing and taking it, he would have fallen. You know nothing of this matter. He would have kept it for his own. When he returned, you would not have known your son. Baramir was loyal to me, not some wizard's pupil. It's like a self-deception in that in that moment. And I would say that I think that that his his inability to see Boromir clearly clouded his judgment about the character of Boromir. Yeah, that's a great. I like that. That would be how the two would express itself. Yeah. It, and and that's that's the place where codependence lives as well. Yeah, talk about that in two-ness. Yeah, twos are most likely to be codependent, uh, meaning that they uh, twos have the biggest problem with uh, seeing the faults or, or more importantly, doing something about the faults of the people that they are seeking attention and love from. Like imagine the the parent who is unable or unwilling to address the drug addiction of their child. Mm-hmm. That's what codependence is. That and yep. and and more so because they are spending all of their time and energy trying to make sure that their child loves them instead of setting appropriate boundaries and blah blah blah. Uh, they are actually enabling the unhealth of their child, a.k.a. codependence. One of the arguments for eight, I think, is the punishment. Disloyalty is all over his language, Mm -hmm. and the punishment is about vengeance when he's talking to Pippin, when he's telling him what will happen. If he's good, he'll get... Fealty with love. Valor with honor. Disloyalty... With vengeance. Yeah. It was interesting because he says love and honor, and that's, there it is on the line. Mm -hmm. The the two wants love, the three wants honor, and he's living in that space. Right. He is willing to sacrifice his son. I can see that his son has failed, and if he doesn't overcome that failure, he just might as well be dead. 
That would be how a super toxic three might rule as a king. Why, why does he insist that his youngest son go take back Osculeth as a, as a two? I, I see that uh, as an expression of that, that sort of vengeance as well. Like he talks about it with uh, Pippin. Oh, okay, sure. But he expresses it with, with Faramir. Mm. And even like that unhealthy move because he is so bereft with grief about Boromir, mm-hmm. he offers an opportunity for Faramir to prove himself to like essentially a, a test of strength. Do this for me or you're going to die. I do not think we should so lightly abandon the outer defenses. Defenses that your brother long held intact. What would you have me do? I will not yield the river in Pelennor unfought. Osgiliath must be retaken. My lord, Osgiliath is overrun. Much must be risked in war. Is there a captain here who still has the courage to do his lord's will? And it's like, if you do die, good. Because you don't deserve this. You're saying that's coming out of eight space? Yeah. Mm. That's interesting. The stress side of this character, I think, would be is, is worth noting. Because, again, twos are going to go to eight, but threes are going to go to nine. Both of them are moving into the body triad mm-hmm. in stress. They're bo- so these are both control numbers. And both of them can be quite violent towards themselves. So in, in terms of his own suicide, mm-hmm. it's not good enough for him to slit his wrists. He's going to light himself on fire like the pagans of old, right. <laughs> you know, is, is the language. No tomb for Denethor and Faramir. No long, slow sleep of death embalmed. We shall burn like the heathen kings of old. Bring wood and oil. That feels like on the eight side, it's like what violence against yourself in this extreme way, intensity of experience way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but nines have that as well in terms of we use the la- the language in our uh, typing podcast on nines. One of the nines said that when things go badly, they just want to crawl into the center of the earth. Yeah, very physical. Yeah. But it's also like it, on the nine side, it's also a, a, it's a retreat, whereas the move here is, is much more intentionally engaged. You don't burn yourself alive without some k- kind of engagement. Okay, sure. You know? And I think there's also, I, this doesn't really help my argument at all, but I think there's also a, a, a pretty firm like two, three representation in that as well, because there's a, the pride of elevating myself to the point of like, it, it's not just enough for me to kill myself. I'm going to burn myself alive like the, <laughs> the pagans of old. Like there, there's a, a fair amount of pride in that and also the presentation of it. But I, but I think like the, the three part of it would have been much more visual. Like he, he would have done it in front of a bunch of other people. Going the other way, going toward security for a second, it gets real interesting again. The thing that hits me when thinking about if he's a two going to four in our other villains, uh, that's a unique plot place. 
Mm-hmm. You have security, and so your uniqueness is going to come out. And he does feel like a fairly singular person. Yeah, like his the the thing that he says to Gandalf when Gandalf shows up that that was one of the things that that sort of turned me toward too. With your left hand, you would use me as a shield against Mordor, and with your right, you'd seek to supplant me. I know who rides with Theoden of Rohan. Oh yes. Word has reached my ears of this Aragorn, son of Arathorn. And I tell you now, I will not bow to this ranger from the north. Last of a ragged house, long bereft of lordship. And and there's there's a there's a fair amount of pride in that. And also, I cannot be replaced. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. There you go. I like that. Yeah, he's he's earned that spot. I don't know if this works into it, but the visual of the throne room of his tiny throne seated right next to this epic white marble throne that he doesn't get to sit on. Right. It's a great visual of envy. I don't know if you can get there, but (laughs) it's certainly. And like that, that weird combination of pride plus envy on the side. Yeah. Because he's still sitting next to the throne and there's no one on the throne, which means he He's in place. Mm-hmm. He doesn't actually get to sit up on the actual throne, but he's the one who gets to sit closest to it. Yeah. And he shuts himself off from Rohan. Right. As well. So even though Theoden and Denethor, as we've said before, those are mirror image names, mm-hmm. he still sees himself as singular. Right. Until it's the case that everything breaks. And then he says, Rohan. And that's when he just cracks and yells, Run for your lives, flee! God, that actor is so good. On the flip side, security, he. There is a lot of language at times of our people when he's at his best, but it's it's hard to find the six in this character. Right. There's not a lot of empowering others with confidence. It's yeah. the opposite, as we just yeah. said. You know, yeah, I don't. I don't think he's leading. I think he happens to be leading something that's already successful. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that makes sense. I suppose. The my last word here is just there is so much appearance to this character, mm-hmm. it seems. But but he's not I he does not seem like he's trying to draw attention to himself in the way that a three would would be like, look at me. Like he seems like he's he's elevating himself and trying to draw attention to the people that or to the position that gives him his power you know what that's it and it's even really toxic threes in power draw attention to themselves and not to their kids right he's elevating his kids yep uh or at least one of his kids right all right i'll go with you on that my my clincher on on this is that he's middle earth palpatine okay like like if palpatine was inept (laughs) He's Middle-Earth Palpatine. 
like like uh, our 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 discussion about Senator Palpatine and or Emperor Palpatine is is that in all of the elevation of, of the people around him, like he he is trying to elevate people around him to maintain his own power. Mm-hmm. Like Palpatine's good at it, Denethor is not. Yeah, Denethor inherited it. Yeah, just not skilled. Yeah, at the manipulative game. He, he is perhaps with his kids, but not very many other people. Yeah. And and even more than that, I, I will talk about this more when we get to Faramir, but I, I don't think he's skilled when it comes to Faramir. I think he's he only has Boromir, and part of that is because Boromir is trying to do right by his father. Yeah. Like, he's only able to manipulate Boromir because Boromir is trying to be a good son. Right. He can push back into Boromir as a one. Right. Strong duty there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He's able to get Faramir to commit suicide, essentially. That's some high-level abilities. Again, I think that's more about Faramir than it is about Denethor, though. Uh, okay. I could go there. That may, Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, well, we'll get to Faramir here in a minute. Yep. All right. Well, you're two for two on your twos. All right. Moving to Gladriel. I have Gladriel as a five. Gladriel's function, and I, I noticed this in terms of our conversation with Gandalf, some of the fiveness that comes out in Gandalf is just because Gandalf's the exposition device. <laughs> He's telling right. you how the story's moving, right. which doesn't tell you much about motive, perhaps, if we were to relitigate that. It's much more about you need somebody to tell uh, all the things. Gladriel is the first voice you hear in these movies. The world is changed. I feel it in the water. I feel it in the earth. I smell it in the air. Much that once was is lost. For none now live who remember it. She is I the mean, watcher. Is it is it Galadriel or is it Kate Blanchett? I mean, can the two really be separated? They're both elves. Fair. Lady of light. Fair. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it seems to me that nearly everything this character says is observational. You bring great evil here, ring bear. Hmm. Welcome, Frodo of the Shire, one who has seen the eye. Her big, here's the thing for me, the, the image of the tool that she's associated with. Everyone in these stories kind of has their tool. There's yeah. the wizard staff or Aragorn's sword, etc. Her tool is the mirror in which she pours the water in and she can see. And that also strikes me that the tool she's using characterizes her, her inner life, her motive, where she's at. Hmm. And she seems to be very aware of things that might be future problems. Hmm. That's what I got. What you got for okay. this character? Well, I before I get into my argument for her, I do want to point out something that I realized when I was looking when I was doing some in-depth study of of this and this was a moment where I had to stop and do some other research because I it started to make me wonder if Tolkien himself knew the Enneagram. Oh, come on. And then and then I realized that he couldn't have known the Enneagram because he wrote these books before <laughs> the modern Enneagram came to uh, 
be well known. And uh, so, so the reason I thought about this is because Galadriel is one of the bearers of a ring of power. She's mm-hmm. the only character we meet who is actually carrying a ring of power. Mm-hmm. Uh, so n- notice this. Nine rings are given to men. Sure. Seven rings are given to the dwarf lords. Three rings are given to the elves. And one ring to rule them all. Mm-hmm. There are nine Enneagram types. <laughs> And then there's a hexad with seven types in it. Or uh, uh, the hexad is, is seven moves. It, oh, okay. And the three. So like this is, like when yeah. you get into the, like, the numbers part of what the Enneagram is, sure. it's the rule of nine, the rule mm-hmm. of seven, the rule of three, and the rule of one. Man, this is some red string going on here. I know. It blew my mind. And then I was like, ah, this is this is nothing. I just think it's a really, really interesting coincidence. Like, we're here talking about the Enneagram, and the numbers that are most significant in the Enneagram is nine, seven, three, and one. And I like that. Hexad, though, is six, but you're saying the one returns to the one. Right. Right. It so it, it's about the rule of seven. Yeah. I see yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. Eh, come on. So... <laughs> That was a thing. So, uh, okay. Uh, also, uh, with Galadriel, we need to remember that we are still talking about uh, that that race is still a significant issue within this discussion, and Galadriel is uh, not only an elf but one of the most important and most powerful elves. She is a bearer of one of the three rings that were given to the elves. And uh, she's she's spoken up with great reverence and like she's she's a pretty she's a really significant elf. And so we have to remember that a lot of her characteristics are going to be rooted in her elfishness. Mm -hmm. So uh, things like the wisdom and the ability to see the future and, and a lot of those things like like Elrond has those things as well and and we typed him as a five and and i think that if you're only looking at elves elves are five-ish people Mm -hmm. but there's still going to be different types represented within that five-ishness so all of that the one thing that i have to say about galadriel is when she is offered the ring the deepest desire of her heart is exposed and she says all will love me and despair and that is pure too in my mind in my perception of it i take that move to be her you'll know this as if she's a five that is her in thorough security and the move is towards power in place of a dark lord, you would have a queen! Not dark, but beautiful and terrible as a lord! Treacherous as the It's all building to that moment where yeah. that last line. But there is a ton of language there about power. Yeah. 
I don't know that for if if you talk about security for a moment, that seems like a secure place. If that's the villainous side of this character. I don't know that it necessarily would be the villainous side of the character. I think if really? if we had to see that express itself, uh-huh. I think it that argument can be made. But I I I don't necessarily see that as as security. I I see it as a, a moment of power, certainly. But but she like it it is language of power. But then she says, all will love me. Yeah. That strikes me as power language as opposed to the attention seeking of the two. And I I, I suppose that's just how that strikes me. Sure. It also would pr- go to say if she were a five, what she's able to see is all the things that would happen if she did have the ring, in which case she would command the ring of power. She would sure. She would have that space that we've talked about as being fully secure and right. then it's a foreshadowing that's 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 a great image of what foreshadowing actually is it's here's what it would look like for you to go to your shadow sure <laughs> yeah fully secure fully shadow dark as the dawn raging as the sea whatever she says <laughs> there all will love me in despair that feels like a compelled love as opposed to a i don't know it doesn't feel like do twos want that kind of affection so we're we're also going to get into um, with this particular two. Uh, I I think that Galadriel is a two, and also uh, when we start talking about Arwen, in order for my argument to work, we need to talk about subtypes. So I think that she is a very strongly social two, and some of the words that get used when we talk about the social subtype with twos is ambition and aspiration. Uh, just reading from the this excellent uh, short description on the Enya app, which I highly recommend, by the way. It's, it's a great, quick reference. Pride is tied to ambitious social positioning, who you know, where you're seen. You seek attention for personal efforts or via your affiliation with powerful others. Uh, infallible instinct for who is important. Uh, you can sense and back up a winner immediately. Public image is crucial. You strive to be valued for warmth, friendliness, expertise. Uh, so if she is a two, I, I think that she, it, it doesn't work without her, her leaning pretty strongly into that, that social two. And that's, that's part of her, like she is one of the bearers of the three rings and her 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 partner is like the king of the woodland realm and she aligns her like she associates with the other strongest characters in middle earth and there there is a sense of like sort of heightening herself above everyone else that i think she she embodies pretty well yeah the thing that was popping into my head while while, while you were talking was here would be a question. It seems like so much of what she offers isn't just observations, but it's observations about the future. And this would be an argument against two in the fact that they don't have an anchor in the future. Sure. In security, they don't even have an anchor in the future. But so much, for example, her long dialogue 
in Two Towers when she's outlining to Elrond how the war is going to unfold and how awful things are going. The power of the enemy is growing. Sauron will use his puppet Saruman to destroy the people of Rohan. Or showing to Frodo, here's all the things that are going to happen if you fail with the scouring of the Shire scene. All this is future-focused. That may likewise, I, I, that's not a very good response to, to, your, to your wonderful statement there about our subtype, but <laughs> that well, was also, going mind. They, I, I also, I'm not sure that, that that's true. Because think about the, the mirror. It's, it shows you things that have been, things that mm-hmm. are, and things mm-hmm. that are yet to come or have, have not yet come to pass. It's her ability to see there is not necessarily future-oriented. What Frodo sees has to do with the future in that moment. But I don't think she's offering him a glimpse of the future. Oh, I think that that's... I don't know. I think that... You like if because the mirror if, like she she lays out specifically like there's a great anxiety meme about this. She lays out exactly what that mirror does. It shows you things that have been, mm-hmm. things that are, and things that have yet to come to pass. There is one. There's a strong observational quality again to all of this. Two. There is a huge fear factor going on here as well in terms of seeing things. Here are the potential threats among the company, of, uh, among the fellowship, and what may come to pass. But, man, if somebody gives you the mirror and says, hey, you get to look in the mirror, you're going to look at your, your sixth-grade uh, theater performance. You're going to be like, oh, okay. And this is what your friends are doing right now. Uh, they're at this restaurant. Eh, okay. And here's the future. Yeah, you're going to get cranked up about the future. I think this is all about the future. But I suppose I'm pairing it again with her function when she's ta- when she's having that dialogue with Elrond from a distance that mm-hmm. it's just all about how it is about how things are going, but it's about how awful things are going to be and the fact that she can she knows that Frodo's going to lose his life. Sure. All that just seems to just have that more it's not just that here would be the move. It's not just that there's future language there. Twos don't don't necessarily care about the future and don't really engage the future in that way. They're engaging other elements. It seems, at least in my conversations with twos. Right. If I start talking about here's all the things we're going to do, man. They love me, but they're going to shut down a little bit. Right. <laughs> that's that's well, not they live in. We're also still talking about an elf. And and like like basically like queen of the elves mm-hmm. of all of the elves at this point, and and I think that her like part of part of the function that she serves when the fellowship runs into her is to help them. Like she she is is there to offer them something that they need for their journey. Well, that'd be fiveish also. If, yeah, you, you could go both ways on that. How they connect. Yeah. Uh, twos would, here is the help that I have to offer. But fives, it, what, it would be, here is, here's the data information. Here's some here's resources. The resources that you need, yeah. yeah. Especially from a place of deep generosity. If they're giving great tools. Right. Might just be the case that all three of our elves are fives, and that's just how, how it works. Could, could be, be that they're just all fives. Could be. <laughs> 
Uh, you You're talking the about the one that uh, that's friends with Legolas, right? Because Legolas is a three. We'll be dialoguing <laughs> about Legolas here soon. Uh, we also need to uh, remember that this did not apply. I don't think to Elrond. I don't. I don't think that Elrond was mature. I think that Elrond was old. Uh, but mm-hmm. we had sh- we struggled with landing on a type for Gandalf because mm-hmm. Gandalf is one of the most mature characters ever represented on screen, and uh, so so the like a, a lot of the things about typing, especially when it comes to looking at other people and typing them, those signs sort of melt into each other when maturity is applied because because you you as you mature, you start to not be slave to your unconscious patterns anymore. Mm-hmm. And and so Gandalf showcases maturity and integration. And I think Galadriel is also, we can camp her there as well, mm-hmm. that she is a very mature character, not just that she's old like Elrond, but she actually might be difficult to type because of her maturity. We haven't used this illustration for a while, and I think I was hesitant when I first heard it, but we've heard the illustration of Enneagram being much more like you're entering a stadium that's filled with people, and you mm-hmm. enter through one of nine entrances, and mm-hmm. that's how you come to the world. Yeah. And the further that you walk down the steps or look for a seat, the, or the closer you get to the field, the further away from the entrance you get. Yeah. And that maturity may, in fact, begin to look like that in some ways. Yeah. I, I go both ways on this because I really do think there's something divine part of your reflecting the image of God that's in your type and type sensitive. But there is also that maturity is covering over a lot of the places where your number struggles. Right. I don't know if there's a both and to be had there, but I think there absolutely is both and it's be, because it it's a like the the way that we type ourselves has to do with the unconscious patterns that we have built up to protect ourselves whereas our type is is still present underneath all of that and and our personality just sort of gets layered and layered and layered on top of that mm-hmm. as we become mature we start to strip away some some of the elements of our personality but the type is still part of our core yep well there you go all right i'm gonna pull out the book all right, so this is from Chris Heritz's The Sacred Enneagram. He has a typing guide in the back, which is great half the time and not so great the other half of the time. And it's normally when I lose these discussions is when it's just not <laughs> fulfilling its function. <laughs> Twos and fives. Is Gladriel uh, emotional like a two or detached like a five? Yes. <laughs> she is detached. Is she warm like a two or is she cold like a five? That one is a definite yes. She is definitely cold. Because she's she's very warm in person. She is not wearing any shoes in that one scene and she's chilly. The <laughs> I think that she comes across as both in a but both in the way that a five would. Like the appearance, it's not this outer warmth. It actually is a uh, withdrawn warmth. Oh, I disagree. I, I think that her status and her beauty are barriers to seeing the warmth that is constantly present. Mm. She people-oriented like a two or a loner like a five? 
I think her health comes out here that she would yeah. move into. She, I think she was, would move away from loner status. Right. And and again, her her status and like the place that she holds in in the the mythos mm-hmm. separates her. But I don't know that that can be attributed to fiveness necessarily. Right. Team player like a two, individualist like a five. That's the exact same question. Yeah, it is. <laughs> is she compassionate like a two, analytical like a five? Yes. This is a place where I think we can say yes. I think that fives can be compassionate. I, I don't I think twos are much, much less analytical. I, I think that fives can be compassionate in the same way that twos can be in analytical. I think this is one of the uh I think that it's harder for twos to get to analytical, but it's still I don't think it's impossible. And especially when you've had thousands of years. Yeah. She's not deductive like Sherlock Holmes. Or I'm sorry. Healthy twos who actually do shore up their repressed center and engage their heads do so in a very emotionally intelligent way, mm-hmm. as opposed to Sherlock Holmes deductions. Right, and and look I don't at think that's what who she is. Well, look at the things that she's saying, like while while she's whispering into the minds of the Fellowship when they show up, she she's observing things about about their hearts. I'm sorry, what was that word that you used? Observing things about <laughs> their hearts. <laughs> Just saying. Well, you take in the world through somewhere. <laughs> she wasn't would, feeling there. Would their... you say that she takes in the world through her heart? <laughs> no, she was observing things, so it would be through her head. But she's observing things about their hearts. Yeah. Here, perhaps a different <laughs> way of saying this is there, I think that twos are commonly at their healthiest, very, very wise. Yeah. Not always, quote-unquote, knowledgeable or analytical. Sure. I think she is a combination of the two. Yep. And that comes out in both her storytelling, and again, I, I, I just want to see it, say it in terms of her future focus. Here are the things that may happen, seems more analytical. Might take. Uh, does she empathize like a two, or is, does she intellectualize like a five? Yes. I, I actually think this goes towards the two. I think she's more I, I, I Like, when she's having a conversation with the Fellowship, I think it's much more empathetic. When she's talking to Elrond, I think it's much okay. more analytical. That's a, that's a good one. Very intellectualizing. Yeah. Help like a two, withdraw like a five. Yes. Seeks others like a two, afraid of others like a five. Are fives always afraid of others? Uh, a five... Uh, fives... Uh, Afraid of others is the wrong way to see that. Detached from others is... Yeah. A- again, her her position here, I don't know that she necessarily chooses detachment. I think it's, it's, it's part of the status that she carries. Yeah. Passionate like a two, cynical like a five. Yes. The thing that hit me was how dark her vision is. It's almost nihilistic at, when she goes to thinking about taking possession of the ring... I, I don't know why I keep using this. I use this frequently when talking about fives. So fives, I may, I may be overstating this, but the lack of meaning to it all and purpose the that can characterize fives at times mm-hmm. strikes me as a place that she goes. I'm not sure that sure. twos go there. Sure. 
I get that. Mm-mm-mm. That's what we got. Might have to set Gladriel in the realm of Thor. And Gandalf. And Gandalf. <laughs> You're still That's claiming Gandalf as a win. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> Thor, Gandalf, and Galadriel. Well, and I, so uh, broadening our view a little bit to away from the movies and thinking about the the total story that's that's being given by Tolkien, which includes the Silmarillion and other writings. Sure. Like Galadriel and Saruman and Gandalf and Elrond are like the high council of people that are trying to stop evil from invading Middle Earth. Mm. And we've already acknowledged that Elrond is not necessarily mature, and we all saw what happened with Saruman. But I think that like acknowledging that these characters are sort of above or set apart in a way, mm-hmm. I think I, I'm totally comfortable with saying that that we aren't going to land on a type here. I so want to say that a lot of the characters who have that status actually are fives <laughs> like, <laughs> when we get to them, which would actually go to proving your point for Gandalf, but my point for Gladriel, Spock is this character, I think, right. where so, quote unquote, stripped of humanity, it almost as though there's there's only analysis right. taking place there or deep yeah. wisdom well, but but if you're if you're gonna go down that that path, then we also have to consider. Oh shoot, what's his name? Zachary Quinn. Sure. Yeah, Zachary I, Quinn Spock. I don't think is a five. I agree. So when we do our Star Trek deep dive sometime, by the way, if you want to support us on Patreon and, <laughs> and promote for the Star Trek deep dive, I think that Star Trek's gonna be real interesting if we get into those newer movies versus the old cast. Because yeah. TJ and I have had this conversation off mic. I think we think that all the characters, the main characters, are all different types. Right. Kirk, old Kirk, uh, Shatner's Kirk versus Pine's Kirk are are they're two different types. Yep. Which is interesting. I suppose that was our Bilbo conversation. Right. Right. Boom. All right. Well, Gladriel is a five. Um, moving to Arwen. Social too. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever you. Choose. We or if we, you want to say an eight. I mean, there's a that that's the place where they meet. Ooh, that's true. Yeah. Well, it would depend. There's some there's some uh, internet people who think that she's an eight. Oh, I think on that. I do like our little company of characters that were not able to type cleanly and just yeah. build over time. Well, last character for us in this podcast is Arwen, uh, daughter of Elrond. Played by Liv Tyler. I'm surprised she didn't get more gigs. Did she get? She was in uh, The Incredible Hulk in an Aerosmith video. And Empire Records. Empire Records? These are yeah. all movies I love. Yeah. It, Empire Records, The Breakfast Club for Millennials. That's <laughs> exactly, exactly it. Well, TJ had Arwen as a two, and I had Arwen as a three. Similar conversation to Denethor. These characters almost couldn't be different. Uh, So it shows you... (laughs) Remarkably different. Um, I see in Arwen a constant encourager, which clearly could be two and three-ish. Her function seems to be to elevate the value and standing of others from what appears to be a very secure position in my mind. I tilt towards three just because I think she moves towards aggressive more than earner 
And that's, and especially, I think you see that, especially with her father. Sure. But that may be because they're so comfortable with one another. I don't know what a two daughter, how a two daughter actually communicates with their stubborn one-ish father. Right. <laughs> so, but, uh, but she seems to be very aggressive with taking Frodo from the company. Um, she's standing in front of a river with a sword, you know, there's lots to be said there, but that feels an initially like a very aggressive posture. Yeah. And, uh, over and again, the encouraging hype man side of threes, I think, comes out in her in a very elegant, elvish way. Sure. Yeah. Solid. There's a lot to be said about her sort of aggressiveness. I think that we we can't forget that, A, Arwen's role and, and her, her presentation in this film is... is it's thin. It's it's hard to type True. this character based on what we're given. I agree. And also, we cannot separate her from the land of the elves. So here's here's one. Thank goodness we're not typing as a five. <laughs> Neither of us think even remotely close that, that she's a five. But there's still a lot of elvishness that I think is important to remember in her character. And uh, much like... Galadriel as a two requires that we lean into her as a, uh, like leaning pretty hard on her social two. I think that my argument for Arwen as a two doesn't exist without her being a sexual two or a one-to-one mm-hmm. -one two. So there's three different subtypes that if this is the first time you've ever heard the idea of subtypes, just immediately forget about it after this conversation because it, it muddies the water in a big way. Subtypes really complicate things. One of, one of the, the best teachers on this subject on, on the Enneagram actually says, wait five years into your study before you start looking into subtypes because it, it just, it complicates things so much. That being said, uh, Harwin as a sexual two, um, I think there's there's a lot to be said for like sexual twos bring out that sort of like like there's there's a lot more aggression in these types um, and and also specifically when I say sexual, I do not necessarily mean quote unquote sexual like it it's it's a word describing like this this intense one to one focus on relationship so so that the sexual two will be looking to like sexual twos are often the types that are trying to be attractive that are trying to to appeal to a another person in a sexual way but also in a much more aggressive kind of way than other twos. So mm. I, I see a lot of her aggression being tied to that aspect. Sure. Um, there's there's a, a heavy focus on a romantic union. Uh, it's, it's like central to a lot of sexual twos. Um, and they're, they're, they're not afraid to take an active role. As, as a helper, it can be dominant or invasive. There's a uh, focus on perfecting skills and altering their personality to please the one that they're, they're trying to attract. 
I think the line between what you're talking about with three and what I'm talking about with sexual two, it's a very thin line. Yeah, I hear you there. Some of the differences then moving away from stance would be, is she, when solving problems, does she focus on goals? Or when solving problems, does she spin things positive? Why do you fear the past? You are a Sealdor's heir, not a Sealdor himself. You are not bound to his fate. The same blood flows in my veins. Your time will come. You will face the same evil, and you will defeat it. I see her as spinning things positive. Like, like I, 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 not in the way that we have necessarily described to spinning things positive, because I think we've focused a little bit more on a slightly more unhealthy way of expressing that. But, like, the, the pushing toward... This isn't a thing that, that, because so much of her position in this story is about Aragorn, not about her, that that she is is in fact trying to get him to move past his problems. Her twos that spin things positive often want to insert themselves into that solution. Yeah, there's no problem here, or at least we'll do this together. There's there's work to do. That's not how she does it. I I think she, I, I that that's kind of how I see it. Like like she is pushing him to become the person that he's supposed to be, but not as a two would in my mind. I think a two would insert themselves more as opposed to a real healthy three. Which would be my argument is that she has moved in that space where she's able to really pump up and champion and elevate the person in front of her. When I see, like, as a really healthy two, she's doing everything that she possibly can for him. But he has to actually choose to step into this place. Yeah. Another image of that, like, when there's a real problem, when Frodo is sick and she comes into the picture for the first time, it's not, let's do this together. It's a, I've got what it takes. I'll I'll get him to my father. I suppose would a two do that? Like, Well, uh, okay, a one... We're we're still talking about an elf, <laughs> so so she she knows that she is faster and has access to elf magic that Aragorn doesn't have access to, mm-hmm. and and as a servant, the best possible thing that she can do is take the responsibility for it. Yeah, I think that would be the argument. As a three, I can see a three all day long saying. I do not fear them. Do, do you not see how amazing I am right now? Right. I can certainly outrun nine dark lords <laughs> right. controlled by the wandering. Um, man, when she's standing next to the river. If you want him, come and claim him. Is she in stress there? That sounds, I could see, that feels aggressive. It feels very powerful and defensive on the two going to eight side. Right. 
on the three yeah, side. There's, there's real mama bearish nature. Yeah. In that moment. On the three side, she she knows she's a badass. <laughs> right. It's just right. Works both ways. I'm gonna draw you into this trap. When she comes, I got two more arguments here. The first being that it seems like she's again real aggressive with her with her dad, and he, she notes that he's been deceiving her. Tell me what you have seen. She has a radar for this. Arwen. If you have the gift of foresight, what did you see? I looked into your future and I saw death. But there is also life. There's something about, not that twos can't focus on the future again, kind of circling back to this, but there is a ton about this character that is future-oriented, it seems to me. I mean, her function in the story might be about the future. She, she embodies hope in these stories, which is a, it's a it, it seems to me that that's who she is in this story, is about hope. Yeah, that would that would lean towards three because mm. that's the virtue associated with threes. Sure. Or the holy idea for threes. We need to go back to that material. I forgot all that material. <laughs> <laughs> I don't disagree about her being sort of the representation of hope, but I think that I, I don't see her future focused in the way that you do. I, I see her her role continually about essentially what does Aragorn need in the present moment to become his full self. Yeah. She is not showy. Yeah. No, not at all. That would be, I think one argument, the only place that was kind of three ish for me. And this, this is some, this, this is the way that my wife might start a conversation. When she first is talking to Aragorn, she says, do you remember when we first met? Because she wants him to talk about her, you know, mm-hmm. it's that, that sort of like, how do you, I, the, you have magical superpowers about getting yourself into every conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there, that's also a, like trying to draw attention to their relationship. Yeah. Do you, do you see the relationship the way I see the relationship? Yeah. Kind of logic there. Yeah. And, and, and like part of, part of sexual twos is, is constantly reminding the other of us. Yeah. Like there's a, there's a, like if there were a parody of this, like I, I feel like I, I could easily see her being like, take my love, damn it. Like the, this, this insistence on giving Aragorn her love regardless of him accepting it, you know? Mm -hmm. When he leaves, she gets withdrawn as opposed to aggressive. There's a scene where the fellowship is leaving. It's going to be the last time they see each other, likely. And she takes a big step back and and is in the back row. You know what I'm talking about there? I do not. It's a real subtle scene, but they make eye contact. They've said their goodbyes. She's in the back row. Sure. I don't know that that's a place of stress necessarily, but that's how she's reacting with difficulty. Feels like a two might be more angry, but she's withdrawn like a nine would be in that space. Hmm. Seems to me. Or like really healthy to sort of not... Detaching. I I, I don't know what you're talking about, so I don't have a, <laughs> a perspective on this. <laughs> 
Well, that works. Okay, well, let's go to the book. I, I would also say, like, uh, there there's two lines that, that really stand out as, as being the kind of self-sacrificial that I see represented in Tunis that she says that I think are really important when, when she is talking to, like, when she finds Frodo after Frodo's been stabbed by the, the Nazgul blade or whatever it's called. Like, part of her part of how she saves him is she says, what grace is given to me, let it pass to him. Let it be sure. spared. Yep. And, and it, it is, it's self-sacrificial in this really intense way that I, I think is very tunis. Yeah. And, and when she's talking to Ar- at, at one of the many, many times where she's talking to Aragorn and they're talking about their love and she says there, uh, Essentially, the the choice that she's facing is she can go on to the to the Gray Havens and live for eternity, or she can stay here and possibly die. And as she says, And to that I hold, I would rather share one lifetime with you than face all the ages of this world alone. And like the that that attachment i don't want to use the word attachment because you're gonna use that against me <laughs> i will that that sort of insistence on the bonding there yeah the 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 interpersonal relationship that speaks very highly of asexual too to me yeah the, i think a lot of the the relational elements of this character just kind of blend for me it's also the case that there are very few lines in the lord of the rings that i despise but that one of her saying what grace has given me let it pass to him let him be spared nothing is really done with that and it's just kind of a strange i'm not sure that it's needed and it always strikes me as worthless but Sure. So, well, I'm gonna just sidestep this just it's set this. it's 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 one of those one of the few like I don't think there are a ton of moments like this in the in the whole story, but it's one of those moments where it's like they had to tell us instead of showing us because they yeah. can't show us because it's elf magic. Yeah, yeah. They can show us the river taking out the <laughs> <laughs> the nine riders, but they can't show us Frodo not dying as quickly. Yeah, I thought I would have been just fine with her taking out. The dark riders with the the river, and then him waking up in Rivendell. It's like when, right? right. <laughs> but I I think this is part of her tuness being displayed. Yeah, is that she is she is giving part of herself so that Frodo can live, and they yeah. just didn't do a good job of showing them elf magic. Agreed. One, I think that's that does work as a great argument for two. Second, it's a trash line that shouldn't be in these movies. It should have got cut. <laughs> For other reasons than the fact that it is working against my argument. <laughs> By the way, Fair. do you notice that uh, the person that she's attracted to is supposed to be king over the entirety of Middle Earth? I mean, that's I mean, that's a win right there, baby. If you want if you if you want a trophy on on your shelf. Or <laughs> if you want to I much like Denethor and my argument for Galadriel with the want to be, <laughs> if you want to be elevated without being the most important one. She's going to look good in those queen outfits out there on that, that balcony. Especially because she doesn't really age. <laughs> 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 All right. Here it's book. 
Twos and threes. Uh, common mistyping. Twos. Is she a two that gives attention or is she a three that grabs attention? Two. I feel like that's gives. a both and for me. She gives attention. She doesn't like... ever grab attention. Like <sighs> her, I think that her sexual three, if she was a sexual three, there there is a lot of that kind of attention. It's not from everybody, but it's from the single person. Sure. And obviously, there's not. I think you're right. There's not a lot to go on necessarily. It's a great right. character, but there's it's right. so much of the story is about her elevating other characters. Yeah. And we uh, should also fully acknowledge we're we're late in saying this, but we should fully acknowledge that we know that their whole love story <laughs> is manufactured <laughs> for the movies. We know uh, that it Let's apparently is in uh, the appendices. It's it's uh, but there it's it's a it's a mashup of some other myth and oh the yeah the baron yeah. and luthien stuff yeah it true and true but the them having a psychic connection and her saying it's a good dream may the grace of the fellow protect you that ain't in there right yeah for sure yeah all right we know that it's it's movie matter <laughs> She seeking intimacy like a two. Does she is she afraid of intimacy like a three? Are threes afraid of intimacy? Afraid is the wrong word. Uh, they fake intimacy. There you go. Okay, yeah. I can see that. Uh, does she help others like a two, or does she impress others like a three? Help. Man, she is getting up on that horse, sword in hand, rearing that horse up. Everybody yeah, knows she's a to badass. Protect <laughs> Frodo, not to show off. Super impressive. Funny, uh, she invites her dad, who uh, you know is the lead singer of Aerosmith, to the opening, <laughs> and she starts doing the the magic words over the river, mm-hmm. and her dad turns to her and says, "Who is it that's doing your voice?" And she looks at him and hits him, and she goes, "Daddy, I'm an." And just just (laughs) mad that he didn't realize that she could, she had some skills. Anyway, (laughs) makes me laugh. Fine. (laughs) Emotional like a two, composed like a three. Ooh, yes. My guy, man, she is composed. Uh, Selfless like a two, selfish like a three. Selfless. I think that's correct. Um. Not all threes are selfish, though. That's that's negative character trait. What would be another? Um, I mean, self elevating, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. And there, it's if she's a sexual three, she is elevating herself a lot in her singular encounters with the two men in her life. Eh. In part, <laughs> she get aggressive like a two, become detached like a three. I think she gets aggressive like a two. Well, again, draw your attention to the scene that you can't remember where she's detached. That one scene? (laughs) Well, I'll draw your attention to every moment that she's talking to Aragorn and every moment that she's talking to her father. I mean, this also doesn't quite work because threes are in the aggressive stance. And so to say twos get aggressive, (laughs) this would be in stress, I assume. She focuses on people like a two or goals like a three? People. You will overcome all of these things. All of her stuff, I think, is goal-oriented. Yeah, but she's saying that to someone. Like, it's not her goals. Because, yeah, but it, again, would be the case, if she is super healthy, then it be it is about other people's goals. 
but she's never advancing her own goals. I mean, like her- it would be about like, like a super healthy three will be about uplifting the group, but they're still a part of that group. Like they're, they're still advancing their own goals. We are in this together. Yeah. Her focus is, is continually on assisting Aragorn to become king. I think assisting is a good word there for what her posture is and why she would yeah. come across more as a two. Okay. Point for TJ there. Uh, sentimental like a two, ambitious like a three. Sentimental. She, kind like a two, success-oriented like a three. Kind. Romantic like a two, pragmatic like a three. So romantic. I mean, just name one scene where she's romantic. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Liv Tyler. That's, that's the one uh, I chose. Liv that, Tyler. This list didn't treat me well at the end. <laughs> okay. Another example of how the list is wrong. <laughs> that's it. Well, that's a good place for us to, to, to wrap. Uh, I was really surprised that we spent that much time on these four characters. Okay. I thought we were We flying. didn't even get to what I think is the most important two, which actually you're already on yep. board with. Yeah. We will start off our next episode with said character who will go unnamed for now. All right. Great. <laughs> Mary. His name is Mary, and we'll Marisol. spend some good time on Mary as a two. Good thing Mariatic. Mariatic Brandy Buck. That's correct. Well, good times. Friends, it would mean the world to us if you took two seconds and shared some of our stuff with friends, gave us some stars, gave us a review. We are only six reviews shy, six star reviews shy of 200. We would be one of the few. There's like three podcasts that have over 200 reviews, maybe up there on the iTunes. So, dear friend, it could be you. You could be the 200th. You could just name that as like a win for the rest of your life you threes that are uh, out there we'll say your name on the podcast or something i I don't look at them so i won't know if you actually write us a review and have your name i'll totally say your name next time because that's a huge trophy i don't know what that's (laughs) like hey you're to the 200th do do you like having your name said on podcasts i don't care yeah i don't but if you do we're in. <laughs> um, you can find all the links to all of our stuff at aroundthecircle.org. We are moving all of our stuff to Patreon. So if you just do Patreon around the circle, you're going to find all sorts of extra content. Uh, lots of our older episodes, which still have fantastic content, but we, we're moving half of our stuff there. There's going to be uh, free tickets to events and all sorts of things that you can find on our Patreon page. Um, shout outs on Twitter and Instagram are always appreciated. If you like this nerd culture stuff, um, I do a podcast called the star Wars binge, which you can easily find by looking up star Wars binge on iTunes and TJ is on there occasionally, but the best thing you can do is share this with somebody that you love. And that's what I got. Uh, you got anything else? I got nothing, man. He's TJ Wilson. Uh, scoreboard. <laughs> yeah. I, I, there, there is like a, what is, what's the rule for elementary schoolers who are just getting demolished by the other team? <laughs> right. The, uh, the shutout rule. It's like 10 Something runs. Like that. I don't know. I don't do the sports. I'm going to go get me some orange slices and go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> He's CJ Wilson. He's officially awesome. And I'm Jeff Cook. And even though I'm losing, it's, it doesn't define me. Who you aren't isn't interesting. Be who you are person who can't type fictional characters very well or other people very well because you know what you're not supposed to type other people it's good
totally it's just fine. Not not a good skill to have in the first place. 